writing that song for us. I know you didn't write it for us, but you wrote it for us, and man. Uh, and also, Leah was preaching my sermon this morning. She took some of my thunder, but that's okay. It's God's thunder anyway. But I want to I wanna throw out a couple of key words that she said today that we're going to hear again. Uh, one of these we talked about last week is the upside-down nature of God's kingdom and also perspective. Y'all know that that's one of my favorite words. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to look at how God changes our perspective. But, but anyway, so already, man, God's at work this morning. Thank y'all for the testimonies this morning. They were wonderful. Um, last week we, we jumped into chapter 2 and we looked at the birth of Christ and the circumstances surrounding that. We talked about Mary and Joseph going to Jerusalem because there was a, a census that was decreed by uh, Caesar Augustus. And, and we talked about while Caesar is the one that called for this census, ultimately it was God who was doing this. God was doing that. He was orchestrating these world events to, to make the pathway for Jesus, to be done in the way that he said it was going to be done. We also talked about this theme that Leah mentioned this morning, this upside-down nature of God's kingdom. And we're going to see that theme continue to develop as we move yet into another famous section of Luke 2 that we're going to talk about today. But last week, we, we ended with these two main ideas for our application. Number one, that God's bigger than we are, and he's going to work through the authorities in our lives to accomplish his purposes. Um, and if we can begin to understand that God is so much bigger than this little part of the world that we occupy and this, this, these things that, like Mickey was describing today, that worry us so much, if we can begin to understand that God's so much bigger than that, it's going to change the way we see the world. Um, because ultimately God has all the authority. Number two is don't assume that God's goals and his agenda are the same as the world's. Often we look at the world and we look at the way the world operates. The church has done this to its, what's the, the negative of benefit? To its detriment, the world has looked at how to run the church as the world runs the world's business. And, and that doesn't work out well because God doesn't work the same way. As we, as we follow Christ, our worldview is going to change. The way we look at people, the way we look at circumstances is going to be different because we're going to begin to see that through the eyes of Jesus and not through the eyes of, of who we are. And our priorities are going to change. There's that word again. As we begin to understand the grand scheme of what God is doing outside of us, right? We're going to talk about that some more today. There's these moments that are beautiful and they're joyous, but they're nothing compared to what God has planned in the future. Last week, I, uh, I preached here, but I also preached at PDC, which as a side note, some of, some of you I shared with this, um, Juan Jose asked me like in January if I would preach last Sunday. I was like, yeah, of course, man, I'd love to. I'm honored to. That's a, that's a big deal. And, and I shared that with you guys last week that I was going to preach. And then a couple of weeks prior, I was like, hey, what do you want me to preach on? What are y'all teaching on right now? And he's like, oh, the return of Christ. What? <laughs> you want me to teach about eschatology in a language that I don't know? This is going to be wonderful. Um, but it really went well. But here's what God had me focus on, because they're all brand new believers in that room, is that that God always does what he says he's going to do. That's something we've been talking about here a lot. But we talked about why Jesus came the first time. And then we talked about what Jesus is going to do when he comes back the second time. How he came to redeem us on his first visit. And then when he comes back, he's going to redeem the whole world to be back the way it was when Adam and Eve were created. Which again, Leah talked about this morning, right? Y'all see what God's doing? And so all of this, I want us to have all of this in our mind as we're approaching this, this particular passage this morning. This is a passage that we have heard thousands of times, right? Like every Christmas play ever 
is about the story that we're going to read today where the angels appear before the shepherds and tell them about the birth of Christ, right? All of this that, that we're going to be talking about today makes me think of a birth announcement, right? We all know what those are. Gender reveals are super popular right now. And if you go online, like I love watching the videos of those, but particularly the ones that don't go the way they planned. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like those are hilarious and I love them. They're wonderful. But we have that image in our mind, right? And so as I'm thinking about this passage two months ago when I'm outlining it. This is the title that popped in my head. And I thought, well, maybe I won't use it, but maybe I will. Jesus' birth announcement was cooler than yours was. I don't care what yours was, unless an army of angels showed up, his beat yours, right? So anyway, and this, it loosely applies to the rest of the message, but I just really thought it was fun. And I, I thought it would be a good way to kick this off this morning. So not only is it cooler, but God's announcing something far more significant than just a gender, right? Like, this is a big deal. This is a moment that God is creating. God's revealing to us, through this birth announcement, his character and the character of his son. Let's, let's dive in this morning. I want to break this down, and let's see what God has for us. So look with me today, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And I'm off my game this morning. I forgot my Bible. It's on here, but forgive me. Yeah, I, mm-hmm, I'm getting some judgmental stares, and, and so I knew that I, if I didn't address the elephant in the room, y'all wouldn't be able to think about anything else. Where's your Bible at, like Carrie? Uh-huh. <laughs> we are forgetful. I also forgot my cane. I was going to bring my cane this morning so I could lean on it, but I forgot about it. All right, let's, let's talk about Jesus. All right, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which they were just just as they had been told. So again, God does what he says he's going to do. I got I to gotta keep pointing it out. This passage, right, that no doubt we're all familiar with. Today God wants us to look at this in a different lens than we typically do, right? We, I, I've shared with you guys it's been fun to look at these outside the context of Christmas. And so we're not going to go the normal Christmas route this morning. Um, but this is a lens that is also one that is very familiar to, with us. We're going to look at what God is doing in the lives of the characters of this story. Regularly, we look at God's Word, His activity, and people's response to it, right? Because we want to know, we want to look at Scripture and say, how did these people respond to God? And how can I respond to God in a similar way? When we look at Scripture, we see its characters going through this process. We call it the abiding cycle. Or recently, I've been saying that we, we hear, we obey, we see, and we share what God's doing with other people. That's 
who God's called us to be. That's how life as a follower of Jesus works, right? You think about the disciples and Jesus said, come follow me. And so they did and they heard the words that he said and they obeyed what they said him to do and they saw him do incredible things and then they spent the rest of their life sharing those stories with other people. Through his birth, God is revealing that his kingdom does not look like the world's kingdom. It does not operate the way the world operates. It's this upside down kingdom that we keep talking about. God's showing the world that the things that they value are not what he values. Life is not about positions or status or power. Life is about loving God and loving one another. I love your, your sweatshirt, by the way, Maggie. <laughs> it says, love one another, Jesus. God continues to show the upside-down nature in how and who he announces this most important news of all time, who he announces it to, reveals a lie. God chose to announce the birth of Jesus to the social outcast. One of my commentaries said it this way. He said, and there were shepherds. The scene changes and the humble of Luke 152 are visited. One should not romanticize the occupation of shepherds. In general, shepherds were dishonest and unclean according to the standards of the law. They represent the outcast and the sinners for whom Jesus came. Such outcasts were the first recipients of the good news. Church, something significant is happening. Something incredible is happening. This, and, and I want to point out that this announcement was not just one of convenience. Um, I've got another map. Uh, Anna, if you would put that up there. I love maps. I don't know if you all figured that out yet or not, but they, they help a lot. So up here is Nazareth. We, we talked about that last week and then Bethlehem and how far Mary and Joseph came. But what I never knew before, right here is where the sheep were during the wintertime. That's where they were when the angels appeared to them. And it's not just right here. They're, they're not, God's not making that announcement just because it's close. He's making a point to make that announcement to them. He's setting the tone for Jesus' ministry from the very beginning with the birth announcement. When God shares it with these people, it's perfectly intentional. And God is showing that he values all people the same. That message would not have come across if he'd have showed up to the religious elite or the politically elite. The message would have been different. To kind of help us wrap our heads around this, I want to take a sneak peek at a parable that Luke records in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 through 20. Y'all have heard this story, but, but listen to it with me and then let's, let's talk through it. He says, this is Jesus talking. He said, then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, his, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. I, I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I, I bought five yoke of oxen. and I'm going to go try them out. I ask that you excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. Master said the servant, what you have ordered has been done in their still room. Then the master told the servants, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Do you see what's happening in this parable? Jesus is trying to help who? Who's he talking to? Who's he, who's he calling out? He's calling out the religious leaders. 
The man giving the banquet invites people that know him best, his friends, and then they turn him down, every one of them. they got something better to do. The religious leaders are those who are supposed to know God the best. For generations, God's been trying to make himself known and have a relationship with these people. And they have consistently rejected him. They would not say, if you were asked, hey, have you been rejecting God? They would say, absolutely not. I've been fulfilling the law perfectly. Even the kids' story brought this out this morning. They spent their entire lives obeying the law, but that was precisely the problem. In the story this morning on the kids' video, I don't know if y'all picked up on this, but Jesus went to a blind man and healed him on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders were furious with him because he broke the law. Their focus was in the wrong point. They were pursuing perfection at the expense of knowing God personally. David, I hope that's a word of encouragement to you this morning about conventional faith. We're going to see as this narrative develops that these religious leaders continue to reject God by rejecting his son. And knowing all of this, God does what is not expected. He makes this announcement to those that the world look down on the most. He said, these are the ones, the most important announcements that ever going to happen, these are the ones, these men and women, these shepherds, these are the ones we're going to make it to. The expectation by the religious leaders was that, that they would be the first to know when the Messiah is coming, like we know the Torah, we know the scriptures, we're the ones that are in charge of everybody's relationship with God. When the Messiah comes, we will let you know, right? That was their attitude. But through this act, God is setting the tone for Jesus' ministry and he's revealing how he views each person of the world. In the world's eyes, these shepherds are the lowest of the low, but in God's eyes, they are just as important as kings. So the angels appear, and I want to point out, we see the same kind of response that we saw with Zechariah and with Mary. They respond with fear. There's a word of reassurance. There's a divine message, and then there's the giving of a sign. And then there's a command. But what we don't see from the shepherds is any objection. Remember we talked about with Zechariah, the angel told him, You're gonna, your wife is going to have a child. And he's like, how could this be? My wife is too old, right? But there is no questions or disbelief from the shepherds. There's only action. And it's significant that this happens with these people. Because these, the ones that that commentator described as, as thieves, as the, the downcast, these, least of these, hear the same message that Zechariah, a religious leader, hears who disbelieves what God is saying. And these, these lowly people, hear it and act immediately. Look at what he says in verses 15 and 16. There, and I want to point out too that they made obeying God more important than their livelihood. Look at what it says in, in verse 15 and 16. It says, when the angels had left him and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. What time did it say that it was in our scripture when we read it a while ago? Do you remember? It says it was night. Do you know why shepherds are with the flocks at night? To protect them from, from other shepherds and from things that will eat the sheep. And this thing that happened in these, I assume men, perhaps women, what happened in their lives was so significant that they left their livelihood, everything that they owned of value in the fields by themselves to go see what God was doing. 
this news of what God was doing rocked these shepherds' worlds. And their excitement was not about the angels, but about God's activity in the redemptive plan of the world, right? God's finally doing what he said he was going to do. And there's no doubt in my mind that through, for these shepherds that, and, and living through all the years of occupation that, that we've talked about Israel having gone through for all these years, all these generations, there's no doubt in my mind that they were familiar with the promise of a coming king. I guarantee you that was regular conversation. Every time they went into an occupation, every time they came out of occupation, they're thinking about the Messiah. They're thinking about the king who's going to come to be like David, to reestablish Israel's dominance on the world. They're familiar with this. They'd heard things like Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where the prophet Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout out and triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is what's in these guys' minds. And an army of angels shows up and says, The king is here. And they're like, Yes! And he brought his army, right? That's what's going on in their minds. God is about to flip this world upside down, and they're in the middle of it. That's where they want to be. Church, God is still flipping the world, and he wants you and I to be in the middle of it too. God will include us when he knows that we are ready to respond with action. That when he asks us to do something, that our response will be, yes, right now let's do it. The shepherds did as they were instructed, and they went to find Jesus. They rush off in search of Jesus. Look at verse 16 and 18. It says, they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. So the second point for today is that Mary and Joseph are in awe of what God did for the shepherds. The shepherds find them and they share all that they've just experienced, right? And Mary and Joseph are amazed and it's worth pointing out that they only knew what happened because the shepherds obeyed what the angels told them to do they found Mary and Joseph and then they shared with them y'all picking up on these words they obeyed and they shared what the angels had just told them what God was speaking through them if there's any question in Mary and Joseph's mind about the legitimacy of Jesus's birth and what's going on it has just been squashed right? Here is a, I, I can't even imagine, you're like, if you've had a baby before, you know what it's like. I, I know only from the guy's perspective of, you just had a baby, everybody's exhausted, and you're laying in, in the hotel room, and, and like everybody wants to come see, right? And, and you want them to see your baby. You're excited about it, but you're also exhausted. And this whole crowd of people you don't know burst into the room where Mary and Joseph have just had this long journey, and they had a baby, but they're so excited they got to come see him right now. Mary, Joseph, Zachariah, Elizabeth, and now this band of shepherds have all had their own experiences with God. They have heard from the Lord personally and responded to him. And as the shepherds share their testimony, Mary and Joseph are able to start or finish putting together the pieces of what God has done and said up until this point. Like it's just the icing on top of the cake. All of this in the same moment that they're experiencing all the emotions that happen when you become a parent. Church, what I want us to see is that unless we share what God is doing in our lives, people are going to miss out on seeing God. If the shepherds wouldn't have shown up, 
Mary and Joseph still have a word from the Lord and a word through the testimony of Zachariah and Elizabeth that their son was the Messiah, right? Still was going to happen. Jesus would still be Jesus if the shepherds had not obeyed. But the story is so much better because they did, right? You, you know from personal experience what it's like to feel like maybe God is, is saying something to you, right, Mickey? Like you think maybe the Lord is, is saying, yeah, I'm going to do this thing. And then he speaks the very words that you thought he spoke the night before through your devotion the next morning. It makes it so much better. And that's what's happening for Joseph and Mary when, the, when they show up. These things that God is, is doing in your life, church, they're going to be a confirmation that somebody else needs to hear. This morning, Leah, after Mickey shared, said, if that was for nobody else, it was for me today, right? Our sharing our story is not about us just practicing for the sake of practicing. We know this. It's about other people. I believe that, that much of the lack of spirituality in the church overall is doing, due to us keeping what God's doing in our lives to ourselves because culturally it's not okay to say I was invited to dinner but I was afraid it was going to be too expensive and I was sad about that right that's not you don't have that conversation in the in the I don't know the aisle at Walmart right like that's not a thing that we talk about a lot but when God is working in that that's the thing that we want to share now because we want people to understand that God loves us and he'll provide for us when he calls us to do something Look at the response of Mary and the shepherds in verse 19 through 20. It says, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard, which they had just been told. Right? Don't think for a second that Mary and Joseph didn't reciprocate and be like, okay, let's, let me tell you, the, you know, Paul Harvey, let me tell you the rest of the story, Right? But I want us to see that Mary pondered all these things in their heart. If you go look at that Greek word, it also means to marvel, right? Mary's there, and she's still trying to wrap her head around all this. The conception, the birth, and now the announcement of this little boy was just his mind-blowing, right? Like, it's just so much that this is my child, right? On top of all the years of prophecy surrounding who this child is to be and what he's going to do for mankind, imagine for a moment giving birth to your first child in the circumstances that Mary and Joseph find themselves in. And then consider a whole group of people showing up, hearing about what was going on from angels, and they're so in awe that they came and sought you out in the middle of the night. This is a kind of moment in time that a person cannot take in quickly, and I think that's why Luke I'm, I'm sure Mary told Luke or told somebody and told Luke, man, I just had to sit and just think through this. And and says in other places that she treasured them in her heart. Imagine, I don't know if you've ever been to somewhere like, like the Grand Canyon or we went to Bryce Canyon National Park um, this year. Like when you go to a place like that for the first time, like the Grand Canyon is a great example, and you walk out on the edge and you see the vastness of it, you just got to take a moment, right? And hope a kid doesn't jump off the edge, Joshua. But you got to take a moment and just soak it up, right? Because it's so big and it's so beautiful. And I think this is what Scripture's talking about for Mary and Joseph. She's trying to process all that God is doing. I want us to see that, church, when there's a genuine move of God in your life, 
You're not going to be able to understand all of it at first, and that's okay. Soak it in. Let God continue to speak. We've got to sit down. We've got to think. We've got to pray. We've got to talk to other people about it. But here's a question, though, that, that I, I find myself asking as I study this out. I have to ask myself, have I lost my sense of wonder with what God can do? Because I'll be honest, sometimes it, I begin to think of it as commonplace. Like this morning, I, the wonder came back. Because as Leah got up and started talking and then we did the children's stuff, like all, my, all the, the neurons were firing in my brain because God's tying all this stuff together. But how often do we just sit back and think about all that God is doing in our lives and its implications on the people around us and how significant that is? Granted, none of us are going to give birth to Jesus, right? That's already happened. But a move of God is a move of God. Like for me yesterday at my birthday party, and I, it's, I, I want to just share this with you. As I looked around the room, I got family and I got friends and some that I've known for a long time and some that I've only known for a couple of years. And it was incredible to think about the depth of relationship that I had with all of those people in that room. And some of them were church people, some of them were family, some were some guys that I know from the ham club. And what was really neat is a bunch of y'all knew each other but didn't know that you knew me together, right? It's incredible to think about the depth of relationship and all of that is a result of us collectively walking together with God. Like I know you as well as I do, not because um, we've just spent a lot of time together, but because we've shared things that really matter. And that are significant. We've cried together. We've been joyful together. We've laughed together. You've laughed at me together. It's, it's been good, right? God's activity is always something that should blow our minds. And I think that the world, us included, have become complacent with the idea of God. We, like the religious leaders, have made life about personal perfection or gratification at the expense of really knowing God. And, and I wanted to take a moment today for all of us to just hit the brakes and do a check and ask yourself, have I started making this about me again? And if you have, it's okay. We are where we are. But if we, if we realize that we're making it about us again, we just, we just say, God, hold on. Get my perspective right. Let's change some things. The heart of what I think God, what he wants us to learn from this today is that he wants to know us. He wants us to know him. He wants literally every person on the planet to know how much he loves us. And the way that happens is by you and I sharing with other people our experiences with God. How we have felt loved by God. How he has met our needs when we had needs. God's plan for the world to know him is the church. And we can either spend our lives focused on ourselves like the religious leader or we can spend our lives focused on others like Jesus. One's a lot easier than the other. God makes it perfectly clear through the birth of Jesus that he doesn't want us and he doesn't place value on people's station in life. It doesn't matter to God where you are in life. It matters to him if you are willing to know him and make him known. That's all that's important. God's done all this work to make himself available to you. He's given you all the tools and the time necessary to know him. He's placed people in your proximity that want to know him. 
And God has put all of this in place, but he's waiting for you and I to be willing to act, to be like the shepherds. When God speaks, we go, okay, let's go. As we've looked at all this leading up to the birth of Jesus, we have seen God's activity in the lives of everyday people. People like the shepherds. Men and women who were willing to say yes to God's activity and who were willing to share that activity with other people. Were those people challenged in their faith? Absolutely. Did they get it all right on the first go-round? Not all of them. Did God still use them when they lacked faith? Yeah, he did. God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And even if we mess up, God's still going to accomplish his purposes. Because it's not about us. And it's not about how good we are at anything. It's about willing to just say yes. And then the results are on who? They're on God. It's not up to us anymore. The completion of God's work is not your responsibility. You just say yes, and God will take care of the rest. God desires, he can, and he will do things in your life that will make you sit back and ponder, right? Just like Mary did, to go, man, look at all this. But you have to be willing to be used like Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, right? I I, want to point out again that Zachariah and Elizabeth were not able to have a baby, but they had a baby. Mary and Joseph weren't ready to have a baby, but they had a baby. It wasn't convenient for the shepherds to go find them, but they did. Church, we're just like Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. We're not ready for what God wants to do through us, but we don't have to be. We just have to be willing to say yes. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed that we don't have to be anything except for yours. God, I ask that this week as we we think back through this word from you today, that it would be challenging to us. But Father, it it would be challenging in a way that draws us to you not challenging in a way that we got to try to figure out how to make something happen but the opposite of that in fact father we would just take a moment this afternoon to just to sit and think about how good you are and the good that you've done in our lives and father this week as we are walking with you i ask that you would open our eyes to the times when you're asking us to just say yes to move as you have led God, I ask that you'd give us the faith to trust you to do what only you can do in those circumstances and to to trust you to leave the results completely in your hands, to not try to make something happen. And Father, I ask that as we do that, that you would bring incredible peace and joy to that process. And we could use that as confirmation to know that this is you, not us. God, we know that you want us to know you better and we want to know you better but we know we need your help. So God, I ask that you give us the courage and the strength that's necessary to continue to pursue you into the hard places. Jesus, as we, as we close our time this morning, I ask that you would draw our hearts to you in worship.
Father, that you would speak the things that we need to hear, that you would move in our hearts and our spirits the way that you need to move. I ask that you would remove the obstacles, the barriers, the things that are keeping us from knowing you better. Jesus, I ask these things in your name.